Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Well, good morning. Sheesh. I don't really do that, but I know the Gen Zers, and that's their thing. At least it's my sons. Um, uh, so I am Leah, and I am a daughter and a sister and a wife to the coolest man on the planet, um, and a mom to three awesome sons, and a mom to a gorgeous daughter, and also a mom to two beautiful daughter-in-laws, and uh, one amazing son-in-law, and I also have three of the best grandsons in the world, Um, and so three of them now, because last Sunday, Mike and Shania had their baby, Liam Carl is here. So um, anyway, so that's who I am. But most of all, I am a daughter of the Most High God. And the songs that we sang today, it was so powerful of just really remembering how much he loves me and how much that I am his and I belong to him. And so um, this morning, I just want to share a few pieces that God has really been putting in my heart for the last probably month or so, over and over and over. Sometimes I'll be reading, and God will take me back to the same chapter, or the same scripture over and over. I'm like, why can't I get out of this? But there's a reason. <laughs> so um, how many of you have ever done the activity where you look at something up close, and you have to determine what that really is? Have you ever done that activity where you look at something and then you're supposed to decide, what is this that I'm really looking at? I think we have a few pictures up here. So um, anybody know what that might be? Okay. Aubrey, let's see what it really is. Paintbrushes. So it's the inside of a brush. All right, next one. Anybody? Yeah, I didn't get this one. Okay, the outside of a cantaloupe. (laughs) Next one. Chris got it. Next one. A candy bar. Chocolate. Yay. (laughs) So it's not always what it seems. Sometimes what we're looking at and what we're seeing, especially if we've got it right here and all we have is tunnel vision, it's not really what the picture is. And that's what I want to talk about today. It's not always what it seems. So Mark 9, 16 through 27 says, he asked them, what are you discussing with them? One of the crowd replied to him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit, which makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, intending to do harm, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes stiff. I told your disciples to drive it out and they couldn't do it. He replied, oh, unbelieving, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When the demonic spirit saw him, immediately it threw the boy into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he answered, since childhood. 
The demon has often thrown him both into the fire and into water, intending to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, you say to me, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes and trusts in me. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out with a desperate, piercing cry. And in, um, in the other version of the Amplified, it says an inarticulate cry with tears. And I don't know if any of you have ever been there where you just can't even articulate your words and you make no sense when something's happening that is very close to your heart and it feels like it's hopeless and you just garble out these nonsense words. I have. And he said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After screaming out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse, so still and pale, that many of the spectators said, He is dead. And I want to end it right there for now. And they said, He is dead. So let's go to John 11, because everyone thought this boy was dead. At least that's what it seemed. John 11, Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick. So this is a good friend of his, and Jesus says, oh, he's sick. I'm going to wait two more days before I go to see him. But there's some other parts to this that can seem to be really baffling, in this, at least for me in this chapter, because he waits two days to go see his friend whom he really loves and is sick. And then Jesus says in verse 4, that the sickness won't end in death. But it did. Baffling. Then he says later that no, Lazarus is just sleeping to his disciples. And his disciples then a little bit later say, well, he's asleep. Why do we need to go? And he says, like, no, he's dead. And I'm like, okay. Either Jesus is really confused because he says it's not going to end in death. No, he's sleeping. No, he's dead. What's happening here? Is he dead or is he asleep? John eleven seventeen 17 says, so when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And then verses uh, 35 through 38, Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him as a close friend? But some of them said, could not this man who opened the blind man's eyes have kept this man from dying? So Jesus, again, deeply moved within to the point of anger, approached the tomb. It was a cave, and a boulder was lying against it to cover the entrance. How many of you have ever been to the point of anger at somebody, something, at God, at yourself, when things did not happen the way that you thought they were going to happen? So the culture in that day believed that the spirit of a person lingered around for three days after death. Jesus waited till the fourth day because this man was not only bodily, physically dead, but his spirit was gone too. He was definitely dead. That's what it seemed. And then over in Genesis 15, 1 through 5. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward for obedience shall be very great. Abram said, Lord God, what reward will you give me since I am leaving this world childless? And he who will be the owner and heir of my house is this servant Eliezer from Damascus. And Abram continued, since you've given no child to me, 
one, a servant born in my house, is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man, Eliezer, will not be your heir, but he who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. And the Lord brought Abram outside his tent into the night and said, Look now toward the heavens, count the stars, if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, So numerous shall your descendants be. So Abram and Sarah were childless here. A promise is given for a son, for numerous descendants actually, to come from them. And obviously, it took too long for them. So in chapter 16, we read that they took matters into their own hands, and they have a baby through Hagar. But this was not God's promise from this scripture. In chapter 17, 15 through 19, I don't know, do we have that one? Yes. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall now call her name Sarai, my princess, but her name will be, not call her name Sarai, but her name will be Sarah. Before this, God had changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. I will bless her, and indeed, I will give you a son by her. Yes, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, you know, when I was reading this uh, not long ago, I don't know how he ever overlooked that Abraham laughed, because we always see that Sarah gets called out for laughing. He laughed before she ever did fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who's 90, year old, 90 years old, bear a child? So we see that they're not still only childless, but now they're old. Yet God gives the promise again, changing their names, saying you're going to start speaking this promise now. When anybody says your name, they're speaking over you what I am saying over you, this promise I'm giving you. So in chapter 18, 10 through 12, it says, He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in years. She was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself when she heard the Lord's word, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure and delight, my Lord husband also being old? So they definitely knew there was no hope. Even Romans chapter 4, when you read that, says of Abraham, hope being gone. So here they are in their 90s, being told again this promise that was told to them before. You're going to have a son. Many descendants are going to come from you. They definitely knew their bodies were past the point. At least that's what it seemed. So the one obvious common thread in all of this is hopelessness. Everything seems over. Everything seems gone. No life, no point, no hope. This is what, who God is. This is who Jesus is. We've seen him working with the demonic boy and uh, the, the crowd there had already known what Jesus could do with Lazarus. And then in Genesis with Abraham and Sarah, God had done and said these things, but it seemed really hopeless. To me, these situations are like seeing that up-close piece of the picture. And sometimes, you're, you, and you're trying to guess, what's this really supposed to be? Because here's what I see. What is really supposed to be happening here? And what's right in front of our face seeming to stare us down? Our perception can be way off as to what we're even really looking at. 
I don't even know anymore. And I get weary of trying to figure out what I'm trying to see here. I get weary of trying to figure out what is happening. This is what I'm seeing. This is your promise. This is what you said. This is where you are, right? And we get so focused on this. At least I can have a tendency to do that. To get so focused on that that we're not seeing anything clearly. And so we just start guessing. Well, this is what is happening. This is it. So, sure, I'll just take this for an answer. This is where I'm going to settle. This is what I'm seeing. This is the clarity of it. But sometimes we don't even see Jesus in the picture anymore because when you're looking at something close up, you just like don't have any peripheral vision and you can't see anything else. And you get stuck. You get stuck in your hopelessness. You get stuck in, well, Jesus said he was going to be, he was going to do, or this situation, or this person, or anything. You can get stuck in that. And all we can see then is a little boy or a young man who was set free, but he's dead. That's what I'm seeing. Yay, God. So you set him free. So you brought freedom to this. So you did this, but he's dead. What's that? What's that supposed to be? Or all we see is Lazarus is definitely dead, and Jesus, you could have done something, but you waited. And now you're waiting. Your waiting has, this has happened. And so I don't know where I am in all of this anymore. And we see Abraham and Sarah were promised something. And they waited and they waited and they waited until it seemed like a joke to them. Like this is unbelievable. It's just no longer believable. So, ha, great, that's great. But I'm really old and my womb is dead. And my husband, he's dead too. It's, it's just not working. <laughs> Have you ever been there? <laughs> Have you ever felt that? I have. I definitely have. It's a process. It's a journey that we're on. And sometimes we can have the strongest faith. And God gives that. And God enables us. And then sometimes something, for whatever reason, whatever season we're in, whatever physically we're feeling, we can just be there. Where here's what I'm seeing. And to me, that's my reality. And to me, that's it. And I don't even know what it is, and I'm just tired of trying to figure it out. I'm just hopeless. I don't feel like you are who you say you are. Well, let me take you back to each of those scenarios and to those scriptures and read the rest of the scripture. Because this is where God kept taking me back over and over um, these past few months with different scenarios that I have found myself in. And he kept taking me back, and I really feel this is what I wanted to share. We're going to step back, and we're going to see what it really is and the whole picture. So in Mark 9, verses 26 and 27, after screaming out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse, so still and pale, that many of the spectators said, he's dead. This is a scripture that I got stuck on. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up. In the Amplified, the classic version of the Amplified, it says, Jesus took him by the hand with a strong grip. 
and raised him up, and he stood up. Jesus, it looked dead, but he reached down and he lifted him up with that strong grip. But believe the word says in various places, the righteous um, right arm, the hand of the Lord, he upholds us with his righteous right hand. He picks us up. He's the lifter of our head. So when it seems, wow, you did that, you set free, but for what? Have it be dead? And he says, I'm not done. Pull back. See my perspective. See the real picture. I will pick you up, and I will pick it up. John 11, 39 through 44. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an offensive odor, for he's been dead four days. It's hopeless. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe in me, you will see the glory of God, the expression of his excellence? In my Bible, I had written down, no matter what it smells like and no matter what it looks like, did I not tell you that you will see my glory? So they took away the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes toward heaven and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me and listen to me, but I've said this because of the people standing around so that they would believe that you've sent me and that you've made me your representative. When he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And out came the man who had been dead, his hands and feet tightly wrapped in burial cloths, and with a burial cloth wrapped around his face, Jesus said to them, unwrap him and release him. In this instance, Jesus spoke with a loud voice directly to what was dead and called Lazarus out. So when Jesus said back in verse 4 that this will not end in death, he knew that death was part of the story. It just wasn't the end of the story. He just, he didn't say, he, he said, it's not going to end in death. There is going to be death in it. That's not how it's going to end. The way we see the end and the way we see the end, and the way God sees the end, two different perspectives. We can trust him. We can have our hope in him. Verse 15, I didn't give this verse to them, so I'm going to read it out of the Bible. Um, verse 15 out of John 11. Well, if I get to John. Um, he's talking to his disciples here in this part where he had said to them, and they're like, well, Jesus, do we need to go? Yes, we need to go. But he's sleeping. You said he's sleeping. No, he's dead. Verse 15, and for your sake, disciples, I'm glad that I wasn't there because this is going to help you to believe, to trust, and to rely on me. However, let us go to him. The level of belief and trust in him that he was taking his disciples on to, the level that he was taking them to, required a darker set of circumstances so they could trust his nature and know who he was. So many times, we, I, can get really bothered by, well, you said this, and, and I only see this. I don't see the way he's seeing it when he's speaking to me. And I can get bothered by that and feel like, but you said this. And he's saying, but I'm taking you on a level, a deeper level, a higher level, whatever you want to call it, wherever it's going at that time, of deeper trust, of belief in knowing who I am regardless. So I'm taking you on this journey. 
and it may require a darker set of circumstances. But can you have hope in me? Can you have hope not in what you want to happen, not in what you're praying for, but can you have hope and trust in me? Because if I have my hope and my trust in this, I'll see it sometimes so up close that I'm so tired of trying to figure out what I'm seeing that I forget him and who he is. And then in Genesis 21, 1 through 3, the Lord graciously remembered, remembered, and visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for her as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham named his son Isaac, Laughter, the son to whom Sarah gave birth. So they could remember every time they said to Isaac, they remembered. We thought that was a joke. We thought that was not believable. But look what God had promised. In the face of the impossible, God held to his promise and he fulfilled it. Let's go to Romans 4, 18 through 21, because it gives the rest of what Abraham did when his hope was gone. In hope against hope, Abraham believed that he would become a father of many nations, as he had been promised by God. So numberless shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he considered his own body now as good as dead for producing children since he was about 100 years old, and he considered the deadness of Sarah's womb. But he did not doubt or waver in unbelief concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong and empowered by faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that God had the power to do what he had promised. He did not doubt or waver in unbelief. But in, in the other uh, cla um, classic version, it just talks about how he praised and he praised and he praised and he worshiped when God gave this promise. And he didn't waver in his doubt or unbelief. God, you said you would do it. Fully expecting and knowing who God was and that he would fulfill his word. Romans 5, 3 through 5. And not only this, but with joy, let us exalt in our sufferings and rejoice in our hardships, knowing that hardship Distress, pressure, trouble produces patience, endurance. And endurance, proven character, spiritual maturity. And proven character, hope and confident assurance of eternal salvation. Such hope in God's promises never disappoints us. Because God's love has been abundantly poured out within our hearts to the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And another part says it never disappoints, it never shames us, it never deludes us. God's hope never disappoints us. This is that hope like Abraham had. That hope, it says first, hope being gone, he hoped in faith. And he didn't doubt in faith that God is who he said he is. This is the hope that doesn't disappoint. The hope says, that says, I can trust you when my situation seems dead, when it feels dead, when it smells dead, when it looks dead. This is the hope that gives you the strength to sing. When Brad said that this morning, I was like, you know, he's my strength, he's my song, but sometimes I don't have the strength to sing. 
but he's my strength. This is the hope that gives me the strength to sing when I feel like I can't. This is the hope that Jesus is there with his hand, with his voice, and with his promise. This is the hope that I have that does not disappoint me. It does not shame me. It does not delude me. When I feel like I am lost and I feel like it's gone and it's over, this is the hope that he says, you are mine. I am yours. You can trust me. Hebrews 6.19, this hope, this confident assurance that we have as an anchor of the soul, it cannot slip and it cannot break down. It cannot slip and it cannot break down no matter what pressure bears upon it. It's a safe and a steadfast Fast hope that enters within the veil of the heavenly temple, that most holy place in which the very presence of God dwells. This is that hope that is a sure and steadfast anchor to our soul that cannot slip, cannot break under whatever pressure comes on. That's where I can stand because the pressure and the things that come to me, if I'm not on that hope, I will break. And I will come down, and I will have my words be inarticulate, and I won't know what to say. I won't be able to sing. I won't be able to do any of that. But when I say, but this hope is a sure and steadfast anchor to my soul, no matter what's going on around me, whether it's right in my own little world or it's in our nation, so much happening that can be so heavy, no matter where it is, your job, your relationships, your friendships, your... Your communities and our nation can be so heavy. But this is the hope that's a sure and steadfast anchor. I want to close with this. What God has been saying to me through the various scenarios that I've been facing, and there have been quite a few. Sometimes you ever feel like you just got your head up and then the other thing comes. And then you just get it up and the other thing comes. And then you just get tired because here's where you are. This is all I'm seeing. This is all I'm seeing. I don't even know what this is. This doesn't make sense. I... So the scenarios that I've been facing, what God has been saying, I believe with my heart is also words for you today, is that what seems hopeless and dead, I can lift. What seems hopeless and dead, I can speak to. What seems hopeless and dead, I can fulfill my promise, whether it's your physical body whether it's your emotions, whether it's your mental health, whether it's your relationships, your job, this nation, whatever it is, I can speak to you to it, I can lift you, I can speak, I can fulfill my promise. So step back and see the picture. See the whole picture and see me for who I am. And I feel like God is saying to us to remember who he is. Yes, he's the good, good father. And he loves us. And he's amazing, majestic God. He's saying, I am hope and I am the light of your salvation. I am your stronghold. I am your refuge. I am your wisdom. I am your strength. I am the one you can trust. I am the mighty one who saves. I am the one that's dancing over you. I'm the one singing over you. 
I am the everlasting father. I am the prince of peace. And the government is on my shoulders. I am the good shepherd. I am the great shepherd. I am great and greatly to be praised. I am healer. I am provider. I am the righteous judge of all the earth. I am justice and I am righteousness. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. I'm the beginning and I'm the end and I'm all in between. This is who I am. I am the word. I am the lamb. I am the lion. And I am roaring inside of you, so let me roar. Stand on my hope that this steadfast and sure hope of who I am. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. When you look here, it's so close. You feel like you're going cross-eyed, and then you try and try and try. Oh, I can get this. I can figure it out. Why? Just step back and see what it is. Why do you have to figure it out? Well, because I sometimes do. I just I, I got to be the one that figures it out before anybody else does. You know, we're going to be like Chris because I didn't know what any of those were. <laughs> he keeps that hope alive, though. He is such a good God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He is alive in you. The power of the resurrection, the same spirit that raised him from the dead, lives in you. The Lion of Judah lives in you. You know, Psalm 27 says that when all this is going on around me, um, that he hides us and he lifts us up, sets us on a rock, a high rock, and he lifts our head above the enemies. What he's doing is taking us from here to seeing the whole picture the way he sees it. We can trust him that he's hiding us even though we're up high on a rock. Psalm 46 talks about when the nations are raging and when just everything seems in confusion and chaos. You know what it says in the middle of that verse, in that chapter? Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted. You might have to go through some dark set of circumstances because I want to show you who I am, that I see this, I know this, I know you, and I love you. We are loved by him. So, Father, I just thank you. Thank you for the hope that is a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. We thank you that according to your word, you hide us from the enemy. You set us high upon a rock so that our head is lifted up above the enemy. So we see from your perspective and you are hiding us. Even though it looks like we're high on a rock and well, the enemy can see me, but we're hidden in you. And I thank you, God, you're our defender, you're our protector, you're our savior, you're our life and our light, you're our hope. You are our hope. And I thank you, God, for taking our hearts that sometimes miss it and are looking so much with something right in our face. I thank you for showing us how to step back and see what really is there, that it's not always what it seems. We put our trust in you. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for strengthening that hope within us. And as we worship, we are fully convinced that you are able to do what you said you would do and how you want to do it. 
We're not going to try to figure it out. We trust that the way we see the end and the way you see the end, we're trusting in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.